Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the show. Coming to you from one of my favorite spots in Idaho. Going to be here for a while, and I am so excited about it. Every single van trip that I've taken with Chris, I guess this is the third one, we always say this year we're going to pick a spot and just chill there for a while. And it never really happens, mostly because everyone we see along the way is so cool. And every time we do this trip, we meet more people along our little route. And then we want to go see them again after. So every trip, we sort of accumulate friends. Uh, and there are some weeks where, like, every single day we have a, f- uh, a plan with a different person, which is overwhelming, um, especially because this trip is only two months when most of them are, like, four or five So this trip was jam-packed. I feel like I haven't even had enough time to like sit down and process all of it and think about all of it. So I'm really grateful to have this time in Idaho. We'll be here through the beginning of August. Gonna go pick up Aaron, who you all might know from Horror my co-host and very, very close friend. She's going to join us on Friday. Uh, And we're just gonna hang here and swim naked in the river. And uh, I have some plant dying that I need to do and set up the slack line and uh yeah I'm really excited I was a little bit worried with all that we had to do that we might never make it here by the time we got to Idaho we'd only have a couple days to chill but it's like a week and a half two weeks it's pretty impressive um and man I am just so grateful for all the people we met I can't even begin to uh describe all of them and all of these experiences so I'll have to do that over over however many podcast episodes, um, stopped by an amazing, amazing place in Whitefish, Montana called Budokan University, which is run by Cameron and Malene Shane. I recorded a podcast with Malene, so that's coming up, but they have an amazing, uh, movement and sort of jujitsu, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's their home. They have a big, uh, ranch, but they invite people in all summer long to do all sorts of different retreats. And they invited us and we had no idea what we were walking into, but we walked in and it was like the coolest group of people I've ever met. Um, I have never hung out with that many cool people in one place. Like normally it's a couple cool people, but Cameron and Malene clearly do a very good job at uh, screening and picking participants for their retreats Um, because all of those people were fucking amazing. And, uh, I can't wait to spend more time with all of them. And uh, Chris and I are talking about maybe actually doing some sort of workshop or retreat with them. 
next summer. So that would be really cool. So many of them had read Sex at Dawn and we had some really great sort of circle discussions about it and they were so inviting. And uh, right after that, we hung out with Callie Russell, who Chris and I recorded a podcast with last summer. She was on uh, Alone Season 7, such an inspirational human and just such a joy to hang out with. Uh, and always feel totally inadequate in my (laughs) primitive skills. Um, We didn't record another podcast with her, unfortunately. We were, like, at the end of, like, a serious uh, week of burnout, uh, which was a huge bummer, but hopefully we can return and do that at some point and share some of her insight and knowledge again with all of you. But if you haven't listened to the first episode we did with Callie, definitely go do that. Chris and I uh, co-released it last summer. I don't know the number, but sometime around last July or August or so. Um, I have a lot of things to talk about, but I think I might save them for a solo episode and just get right into today's conversation with Clementine and Jay. Clementine Morgan has been on the podcast before. I loved our episode together, and this time uh, we did it with her partner, Jay, as well. Uh, They have a podcast called Fucking Cancelled, and I just love that like all of Clementine's work has the word fucking in it. It's definitely my style. Uh, Fucking Cancelled is amazing, um, basically uh, critiquing cancel culture from a leftist perspective, which uh, we need a lot more of, and I applaud their um, courage and vulnerability in speaking out in these ways, and I will let the podcast speak for itself. Uh, But before I get into it, just a few housekeeping things. Boise, we're doing a meetup in you. Uh, on Friday, the 23rd, which is this Friday. It's going to be from 6.30 to 8.30 at the Payette Brewing Company. It's funny because the last podcast I released with Tracy in the introduction, I actually talked about doing this meetup. And then due to multiple factors, mostly smoke and fires, we thought maybe we were just going to like book it and head to the coast to avoid all of it. So I had to go in and delete all the information about the Boise meetup in my last episode. But I'm really glad I don't have to do that this time. We will definitely be doing a meetup. So if you live anywhere near Boise, Idaho, please come hang out with us on Friday, the 23rd from 630 to 830. Uh, That should be really fun. I don't think we've done a meetup in Boise before. Um, and it's, I think I mentioned this last time, it's, it's tricky. It's very, it's hard to plan these meetups far enough in advance to give you guys notice. Um, but also to make sure that we will actually be there. And especially when the summer, uh, gets into sort of late July and August, the smoke is a big issue. So, uh, yeah, it's always difficult to sort of coordinate our desire to do meetups with, um, the sort of logistical difficulties of being on the road. I hope maybe we can do one more before the summer is over, uh, potentially in Colorado, but don't quote me on it. We shall see. Um, we might actually do another one in LA. Uh, we are going to be flying out of LA and going to Europe for the fall. So maybe before that we can do one. The place to, uh, keep up to date on that is on my website, Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S.com slash podcast dash meetups. Uh, you can also go to Chris's website, chrisryanphd.com slash vanthropology is where he has them all listed, but we're basically, um, co-hosting all of them. So the information will be the same. Uh, so definitely come hang out with us in Boise and hopefully we can meet many more of you in the future. Uh, we're sort of playing around with the idea of maybe going up to Alaska next summer and really prolonging the van trip. 
Um, so lots of opportunities to do meetups uh, next summer as well. And maybe, who knows, maybe we'll end up doing one or two in Europe or wherever we decide to spend the winter. Um, it's, it's really... It's important to me. It's it, <laughs> logistical issues aside. It's um, there's really nothing more meaningful to me than to introduce you all to each other. Yes, of course, it's amazing that we get to meet you and that you get to meet us. But I can't quite describe um, the joy of watching two people meet each other who live in the same town, who've never met before, but who share a ton of different values and who are super like-minded. It's basically like the best dating friend service ever. <laughs> so I apologize that we don't do more of them. Um, it's just really hard, but I'm really grateful when we actually get to. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention is my Patreon community. Um, Patreon is a spot or a place or a website, or I don't know what to call it, where you get to support people who have a hard time making money in other ways. So for those who don't realize, uh, this podcast is free and I don't have ads on here. So there's really no other way to make money and support this project other than through your donations, sort of like public radio, uh, except I don't have any like big donors like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, <laughs> like public radio does. It's all up to you. Uh, this podcast and my other podcast, Horror Rapport, that also has a Patreon um, and maybe the astrology course I do, uh, but pretty much uh, Patreon is my income. Uh, so if you have a few extra dollars to spend per month and you would like to vote with your dollar or support something that's meaningful for you, maybe trade a latte or two per month um, and instead donate that money to this community, I would really appreciate it. It's definitely freaking awkward to ask for money and promote myself. I spent 10 years working in marketing and I got really burnt out on it. Um, and so although I know many, many, many different ways to make money, uh, I'm sort of opting out of all of them. I really don't think I'll ever have ads on this show. Um, and even just asking for your donations. I know everyone struggles with money and especially at times like these, um, even a few extra dollars can sometimes be difficult. So certainly if you cannot afford to support the podcast in that way, I understand. Um, I want everyone to be able to listen to it, but for those who can, uh, basically think about it as not only that you're supporting the podcast, but you're funding other people's support as well. Um, and then in addition to just being able to support the podcast, you also get access to lots of different aspects of this community that are not offered if you're not a patron. Um, so if you go to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz, actually the link I think to see the individual tiers is patreon.com slash join slash Anya Kotz question mark don't know why there's that question mark at the end. Um, but if you go there, you can see the different tiers. There are three of them. It's $5 a month, $10 a month, or $25 a month. And I would say $10 a month is really like where you get the most bang for your buck. Um, and you get access to our community Discord server. So this is where you can talk about all sorts of issues in different areas from psychology to food and gardening to health and wellness, sex and relationships, which has been um, cleverly dubbed the sex dungeon. Thank you uh, to my podcast listeners who are weird, inappropriate people like me. Um, but anyway, there's lots of different channels and you can discuss all of these topics with other listeners. Uh, and we have about 100 people in there now. So if you are feeling particularly lonely, 
don't have a community nearby, I think it's amazing that we get to create a community in unique and technological ways. It's one of the big benefits of technology um, is being able to sort of reach across many, many miles and communicate with people who are like you to make you feel a little bit less alone in the world. I'm, I'm sure many of us <laughs> feel like that or have felt like that at one time. Um, and it was really my purpose in starting this podcast and then all of the things that I offer through the Patreon community in order to help eliminate that feeling of loneliness and being alone in the world. Um, people have been motivating each other to do so many brave and courageous things in their life from quitting their job to leaving a shitty relationship and we get to support each other in that uh, through this community and that's fucking awesome. So there's the Discord server, we do a book club, uh, we read about five or so books a year. Um, we are just about done with our summer book club. We were reading Women Who Run With The Wolves. I'm almost done and I, dude, favorite book. Um, big ass cricket just landed on me. Um, uh, such a good book, definitely in my like top five books of all time. I've underlined so many things and hope to read some excerpts on the podcast. Um, but we are reading that this month and we are going to be meeting live on Zoom. I just announced the dates. I believe it's August 9th and 10th. Um, and if you want to sign up for Patreon just for that, just to get the info for how to join us live and to join us live, of course, um, you're welcome to do that. I always say, like, if you want to pop in and out of Patreon at your discretion, that's totally fine. If there are some perks you want to enjoy, some workshops that I'm offering or the book club, um, but you don't have money to afford it long term. Uh, that's totally fine. So if you join at the $10 a month level right now, you will get access to uh, join us for the book club. If you've read Women Who Run With The Wolves on your own, not as a part of the book club, but you would like to discuss it with other community members, um, please join us. Please join us even if you haven't read the book or you've read part of it. Uh, it's a really lovely discussion. We will meet twice uh, to try to keep the groups a bit smaller. Um, what else? Uh, I'm probably going to be announcing the next um, book club for, uh, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Maybe we'll do it in September, um, September or October. There will be at least one more. I am also going to be offering more workshops. A uh, patron of mine, Jenny, is going to be offering a seed saving workshop through Patreon. So one of the amazing things that I like to do in this community is give the patrons an opportunity to share their knowledge with the community. So uh, when you sign up, you get access to all the past workshops, which include foraging. There are a couple of astrology workshops, how to become a more confident creator. Um, we did a breathwork one in the past. Uh, and Jenny is going to be teaching a seed saving one, which I'm really excited about. If you are a patron or you'd like to become a patron and you have some knowledge to share or you have a workshop you want to kind of work through um, before you bring it to the, the, massive, <laughs> the massive world in some way, this is a really great opportunity to kind of um, have us help you work through that. You know, it doesn't have to be this big fancy thing. If you just took a course and you want to share that information, you can do it in this kind of casual way with a very curious and hungry audience. Um, oh, we also did a Reiki one. That one's available as well. Uh, so yeah, lots, lots coming up. Um, really been amazing to meet those of you who I have met at the meetups thus far. Looking forward to meeting more of you. Looking forward to meeting more of you in the Patreon community. And yeah, I really appreciate all of your support, no matter what shape that takes. If it's supporting me financially on Patreon, leaving a review on iTunes for the podcast uh, and some stars, uh, sharing episodes with your friends, 
posting about it on social media, all of these things help tremendously, um, even just spending the hour or two uh, listening to the podcast and uh, basically giving me your time and energy and focus in that way is amazing. And I'm consistently blown away that anybody is listening, to be honest. Um, so thank you. Uh, all right. I think that's it. I am going to play you out with a song. I'm sorry. I'm going to play you in. <laughs> it's the beginning of the podcast. I'm going to play you in with a song called I Won't Run From It by Big Red Machine. You'll probably recognize Bon Iver's voice. Um, I've been waiting for an opportunity to play this song. I just really like the message. And I think this conversation speaks a lot to our avoidance of our own issues and our own participations and our, our own discomfort um, and how we project that onto other people and how we point our fingers and how we make other people feel bad as a way to avoid ourselves feeling bad. Um, and I think we would all do a lot better off if we could confront our issues head on and be a lot more vulnerable in our own problems and our own traumas um, and really take accountability for and responsibility for our lives and for our own happiness and stop demanding that other people take responsibility and other people are accountable. Um, you know, we really like cannot control other people. We can only control ourselves. And this is the case for all issues, whether we're talking about relational issues or ecological issues, we can only control ourselves and what happens in our backyard as much as we want to change the world and save the world, as this podcast suggests. I always say that it's a sort of half-ironic title because I think the only way to save the world is to save ourselves and to put our energy in what into something that can actually make a difference, which is our um, immediate surroundings, and allow that to ripple out as it may. But I think our sort of over-focus on these big identitarian movements or climate change, I don't think we're doing much other than wasting our energy. So I encourage all of you to take that focus and turn it around on yourself. Remember that when you point a finger at someone else, there are three fingers pointing back at you and we need to confront ourselves instead of running away. Please enjoy the song. Enjoy this conversation with Clementine and Jay and I will catch you on the other side.
It isn't time for a fitting of a passing cloak Too forward, too fine Too patient, too wise Now look at you shine Took the matter too hard Took the matter too mild With the feeling that I'm fishing in a harbor now Too clever, too kind Too better, too high Now look at that smile So when that cause ain't dead on arrival When you crash it Jay and I'm excited about this podcast. It's a long time coming. Um, really glad to welcome Clementine back to the show and have Jay on for the first time. Hi. Um, hey guys. Hi. <laughs> um, and we're going to talk about cancel culture and some other stuff today uh, and just kind of see where the conversation goes. I feel like all three of us think in pretty similar ways. So I don't think we'll run out of things to talk about. Um, but I would love to start if you each could introduce yourselves and sort of talk about like individually what happened or inspired you or provoked you to start this podcast <laughs> you want to go first or uh sure yeah my name is jay um i live in montreal i have been uh, you know on the left calling myself like an anarchist or communist since basically i became politically aware um when i was a teenager and you know i'm in my 30s now and uh, so I've kind of gone through a lot of um, political incarnations, you could say. And I don't know, I guess I have always, I don't know if anything in particular like really happened to make me start thinking the way I do, but I've always been um, really invested emotionally in like a successful leftist project and really disappointed by the lack of success of the leftist project. Um, and I've always been very critical of what I see as like, um, certain aspects, um, of the kind of mainstream leftist, uh, scene that seem to like really hamstring it, um, and make it difficult for it to be successful. And yeah, um, I'm also, I don't know, I like things to make sense and I'm mad when they don't. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I, I question them when they don't make sense to me. And um, it's always been kind of crazy making to me that uh, questioning things that don't seem to make sense um, is uh, met with a lot of hostility on the left often. Um, and yeah, I'm still very much a leftist. I mean, if anything, I think that my, my transition to being more of like an openly um, anti-identitarian and anti-cancel culture leftist uh, has made me 
even more um, convinced of my socialism. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I I just want us to figure out how to give everybody everything they need. And I think that sort of like fighting over scraps at the end of the world is not what I want us to be doing. <laughs> Amen. Um, so I guess, yeah, like, um, so I'm a writer and I sort of have been making zines for like many years and I have had an online presence for a while and have been sort of known for my work doing other things. Um, like I write creative nonfiction and I also became pretty well known for my work on trauma and foreign polyamory. Is that what I was talking to you last time I was on the podcast about? I feel like we I was talked to, something like that. Yeah. We, we talked about it a bit among many other things. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Trauma and foreign polyamory and I do like trauma education and like some like sexuality education stuff, um, as well as just like creative nonfiction writing. Um, but I, you know, was really in um, what Jay and I call the nexus, um, like social justice culture for a long time. And like, basically, I mean, I talk about this on fucking cancel, but like Jay and I are both, well, I'm outing you, but everyone already knows um, that we're alcoholics and we're in recovery. And, um, you know, I basically like was full of shame for like the stuff that I had done when I was drinking. And I like was in this like really unforgiving culture that demanded like, some kind of like extreme obedience and perfection from me so I was just like really trying to like toe the line and be good for many years but it was like very dysfunctional for me especially because as a person with complex PTSD like I could sense like the discrepancy between like what I was learning in my healing and recovery work um about like learning how to trust myself learning how to not be a people pleaser learning how to navigate conflict learning how to like have boundaries and how I was being asked to like do the opposite of all of this in the social justice culture that I was in and it was like really starting to become unmanageable but I didn't really know what to do about it and then yeah about um four years ago um when I accidentally kind of went on a first date with this person, Jay, uh, I, Jay was someone who, you know, really opened my mind to a lot of things or like basically allowed me to be honest about what I was thinking. And I knew that Jay wasn't going to cancel me. And so that relationship became a really um, important incubator for me to start developing my critical thinking and, you know, just uh, questioning things that I wasn't allowed to question in, in many contexts in my life and like talking openly as a leftist, as a socialist about, you know, what we were seeing that was like really um, not working in the culture that we were in. And like as queer people, obviously, like our social scenes were like really um, in the nexus. Right. And then basically. Oh, la- me again. Oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Just um, and so, yeah. And so basically last summer, um, actually, it's pretty funny. Like when I came on to this podcast last summer, I was like in the throes of being canceled. And it was like a really hard time for me emotionally. And I can't believe that I actually did come on the podcast. But I think that speaks to like how comfortable and like welcoming, you know, you you made me feel because I know I said something to you about being canceled and you were like, that's fine. Like, you're totally welcome on the podcast. And that was really nice. So I did come on and I, it was actually the first time that I sort of was recorded saying some things that I knew would be quite controversial, but basically, yeah, I got canceled last summer, um, over some really ridiculous shit and it was extremely dramatic and blew up my life in a really huge way. 
And so Jay and I, like, we had been talking about this stuff for years and, like, you know, going on long walks and ranting about it. And that obviously increased with the the cancellation that I was experiencing. And so we eventually got to a point where we were like, we should make a podcast. Like these conversations that we're having walking around are actually conversations that we want to be having on a larger scale with more people. And so through many, many conversations and many like discussions about were we blowing up our lives permanently and irrevocably by doing this, you know, we decided to go forward with making the podcast. So yeah, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you emailing me and you're like, just so you know, I'm in the midst of being canceled and like anyone that's had me on their podcast is also being harassed. And I was like, I don't care, bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think we waited a little bit, but yeah, no, I was like all the more reason to come on and talk about it. Yeah, and I said before we started recording, I don't really, I mean, maybe it was like the way that I started this podcast, just like from the get-go being like, this is what I'm talking about here. And like, this isn't the space for everyone. Um, but everyone's been like, I'm, I'm shocked that I don't get more pushback actually. And I feel like, okay, if I have this space where like, I'm not getting harassed as much as someone else is that I should keep talking as much as possible. Um, did you guys experience like when you decided, okay, we should probably start this podcast. Was there like a lot of sort of fear involved in what might happen if you did and how did you sort of overcome that fear, um, or that hesitation of like, maybe this will make this all worse somehow. Yeah. I mean, there definitely was a lot of fear. Um, like people, people who are in deep in the nexus, you know, um, who are really invested in council culture and who live their lives according to like these identitarian, um, dogmas, Mm -hmm. like can be really fucking vicious you know um and do really crazy shit um that sometimes sounds like fucking fake when you try to explain it to people who like don't <laughs> live in that it's world so you know yeah but uh but you know like queers who are like on the left or whatever will like all sort of like be familiar with this kind of shit so yeah it's fucking scary man like um you know even just kind of like whispering about your disagreements with certain kind of like identitarian ideas can can be very dangerous for you if if your whole world is like wrapped up in this this kind of scene you know and then saying things publicly about it is even more dangerous and then saying things publicly about it and recording it um Mm -hmm. and like making an entire sort of like media platform based around it um is even more dangerous right because you're basically just like permanently well, you're canceling yourself. You're basically, I mean, and that's one of the reasons why we called it fucking canceled too. Cause we were just yeah. like, you can't cancel me if I exactly. canceled myself, you know? Um, yeah. although I mean, they, they can, they can definitely yeah. like more fully cancel you. Um, and I mean, another thing too, just to mention real quick before I pass it over to Clementine is like, it's, um, you know, when you, when you're being targeted by sort of like, very angry crazy people um it's not just you who suffers consequences right like it's anybody you're close to as well because they're you know by virtue of being close to you they're um outing themselves as bad people who can't be trusted and are very you know dangerous and whatever um and so you have to think about that too you know and i have like um you know another partner and i have like friends um and close people family members and stuff who i don't want to be fucking harassed and like i had to have conversations with people before i started this podcast because i was like they're 
very well might be like pushback and I can't guarantee that it won't be like really severe, you know? So, yeah. I mean, like last summer, because the thing is, is that I did play by the rules for so fucking long, right? Like I played by the rules for so long. I really did. I like hyper vigilantly like memorized all of the rules and like literally was so on top of like what was the appropriate language and like the changing language and like I always knew everything and I always stayed on top of it and like I did that for so long and then you know over the course of a few years as I started to like privately question these things and starting to realize how unhealthy it all was for me I started to become more and more brave and like I wrote a few things in my zines like challenging this stuff um, a little bit online but like very minimal you know, and I, and then, but mainly what was happening is that I stopped sort of like doing the performative things that people expect you to do in this culture um, and, and becoming a lot more sincere with my politics, you know, where I wasn't just going to post about something in a very particular way because it was expected of me. I was only going to do things that were actually in alignment with my, like my well thought out, deeply held principles and politics. And so that was starting to happen and like already before the podcast. And then this summer, like, you know, when I got canceled, it was so completely absurd, you know, and like, I really, it was for such an absurd reason that it just really showed me like, there's nothing you can do. Like, you can't actually protect yourself um, from this. Like, I don't really like to go into the details of my cancellation. But like, to, to sum it up, like what happened is that somebody made a post saying that I wasn't sharing anything about Black Lives Matter. And then when I, I messaged them and was like, I am and like I am an abolitionist I have been sharing about this you can see it on my page and it was demanded that I deplatform and then an entire um, campaign of harassment was started about me calling me a white supremacist based on I don't even know why because I was sharing about Black Lives Matter so and like this resulted in me having to move where I live from where I lived it resulted in me like like you know, losing like employment opportunities. It resulted in me losing literally almost my entire real life community and friends. It was like such a brutal, severe social like exile that I went through. And yeah, like the friends that did stick around all have received like harassment and like negative consequences for remaining associated with me. And so I was like, I literally didn't do anything. Like it really didn't. And, and yet the consequences were so severe that I was like, there is no protecting yourself from this. Like if you are somebody who's in the public spotlight, like I am, there's just no way to sort of like play by the rules and hope that it's just not going to happen to you. Cause it, it literally might for literally no reason. Right. So at that point I was like, well, if I'm already this canceled and I'm already suffering this severe level of consequences for literally no reason, then I might as well like, you know, use this platform that they tried to take away from me to actually talk about these things you know and like yes I we were scared definitely and like we spent like a few months to discussing the potentials of the podcast before actually doing it we even recorded a couple episodes and then just like didn't do anything with it for like like months yeah and like I kept going back and forth being like I don't know if we can do this um, cause I was like, I do like to have a career and even though I was canceled, I was like, I don't want to totally lose the career, you know, I've lost yeah. so much already. Yeah. Um, but like ultimately like what made me want to do it and like what pushed me through is that literally my entire life, my entire career has always been about supporting survivors and like supporting people who have been abused and mistreated and, and supporting people who have gone through really intense shit. And I was realizing that, like, 
cancel culture is an incredibly abusive culture that destroys people's lives, like drives people to suicide, like really is fucking brutal and awful. And also they're like living in a culture that's saying like, this isn't happening to you. And if it is, it's because you deserve it. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, the people caught up in the nexus, like really like to use the word gaslighting for basically everything. Um, But it's ironic because like the entire thing is like this, really intense example of gaslighting where like there's this like awful objectively like fucked up social dynamic that's playing out all the time that everyone sees and is willing to talk about like in private one-on-one um but nobody will talk about it publicly like other than like weird conservatives that we don't fucking care about or agree (laughs) with um and so yeah i'm just like it's this giant example of like collective gaslighting and i think we were just like extremely sick of that like we're like I'm sick of pretending. I'm mm-hmm. so fucking sick of pretending that this isn't happening and that it's not, like, totally fucked up and, like, ruining people's lives and, like, not, like, powerful, like, rock stars and shit. It's, like, random fucking, like, trans girls being canceled mm-hmm. for, like, hitting on somebody or, like, whatever the fuck, you know? Yeah. Like, it's super fucked up, you know? And we've all seen it over and over again. And, um, yeah, I don't know. We were just fucking sick of it. We are sick of pretending. Yeah. And so we just finally decided to take the plunge. And yeah. here we are. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's funny to me too, or not funny, or maybe ironic, um, or just predictable that like all of these people too, I feel like are the people that are totally like totally fetishized like cult behavior and have no idea or like pretend to have no idea that I feel like they're totally in a cult as well and like projecting all of this anti cult stuff outward and not recognizing it. Um, yeah, I let's talk. I would love to have you guys define the nexus because I feel like we're going to refer to it a bunch, um, and I'd love to have people make sure they know what that is. Um, and then also, like, you know, you guys talked about like the actual danger of cancel culture, and I know that I think some people probably don't really understand what it is if they haven't experienced it or just expect it's something kind of mild. Um, so if you guys could talk a little about like, what have you seen as far as cancel culture? Like, why did you need to move? Like, why do we need to warn our friends about this? How would they get involved if we got canceled? Just sort of give people a picture of like, what's actually going on. Sure. Um, maybe I can start, um, and just talk about the nexus a little bit. So like, we needed a way to talk about the, the kind of like world that we were moving through. Right. And people will call it, like, social justice world or, like, woke world or, like, whatever. There's, like, different kind of, like, ways that people talk about it. Some of them overlap with ways that, like, conservatives talk about it um, and whatever. There's just, like, there's not, like, a good, clear, like, way to talk about what we wanted to talk about. So um, we just started calling it the nexus. I honestly don't even really remember why. I think it might have been from, from something I wrote. Um, but we just needed a word, you know. We started calling it the nexus. Um but, like, then it got developed a little bit more in, in the way that we were thinking about it, you know. And so, basically, the nexus is, like, well, a nexus in general is, is like, a confluence, right? It's, like, where, like, multiple things, like, meet up and combine. Um, and so, in this case, like, the things that are, that are meeting up are social media, cancel culture, and identitarianism. And where they meet, um, a specific kind of thing is produced. And it's like a social phenomenon, it's like a system, it's a scene, um, it's like a culture, you know, and it's profoundly influenced by its three components. And when they meet up, they sort of, they produce this thing that's actually like greater than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what we call the nexus. 
Um, and we explain it on our podcast, just sort of being like, well, you know, just social media by itself. I mean, there's tons of things on social media. Like there's people who like only go on social media to like look at like soccer or something, you know? Um, so that's not like necessarily like a problem all on its own, right? Um, and then there's like cancel culture, like, well, cancel culture or like shunning or whatever you want to call it, like um, has lots of, there's lots of examples of it through time and space, you know, there's like religious shunning and there's like, um, you know, there's sort of like uh, people talking shit about each other or whatever. And that's like its own phenomenon. And then there's identitarianism and or identity politics. And like, even that, you know, like, although I think identitarianism is like a kind of damaging um, uh, way to view the world and it's there's a lot of like shortcomings to it by itself, it's not going to destroy somebody's life. Right. But like when those three things combine, it mm -hmm. it's like it creates this this whole thing. And people um, who are outside of it might not really understand how like deep it goes and how, you know, people who are like locked in to this sort of like Instagram echo chamber um, of like deep like identitarian social justice, social media world um, really like think in a certain way. Um, and have like these beliefs and a worldview that is like um, really constrained by the very like sort of system that they are involved in um, because of cancel culture, right? Um, and cancel culture takes many forms. It's not just like literally canceling, but it can also include the threat of cancellation, mm -hmm. which is like hanging over everyone's head all the time. Um, it can include like seeing other people being canceled, you know, which serves as sort of like a disciplining, uh, it serves a disciplinary role within that system. Um, and yeah, so basically that's what the nexus is. I hope that that makes sense. Yeah. And we talk a lot more about it on the podcast in more detail if people want to like dive into it more. Um, but yeah. And like part of the issue, right. Is like, I've, I actually, I've been recently reading this book, um, that's called terror, love and brainwashing by this person called Alexandra Stein. And like, basically like in it, it's, she's actually talking about cults, but she's also talking about fundamentalist ideologies. And like, this is functioning as a fundamentalist ideology. And so one of the weird things about it is that even though it is an ideology and it's like a fundamentalist ideology with a threat mechanism built in, which is the cancel culture aspect, which a lot of fundamentalist ideologies also have some kind of threat mechanism um, to, you know, um, ensure obedience. Like it doesn't call itself an ideology, right? Like it's not self-reflective and it's weird because it's like a lot of other political ideologies. Like if you, you know, if I'm like, I'm a socialist, like there's lots of different types of socialists and like they all are actually really loud about the kinds of socialists that they are and will like argue that they're the right type and stuff like this. But inside the nexus, people never even say that it is an ideology. They act as if it's literally just the fundamental truth and it's like how to be a good person and how to like be like, I guess, politically correct. Like it's right in that phrase, like to be correct. Right. And so we need a way of talking about this. And it's quite weird because it, there isn't really a way of talking about it. Um, and because of cancel culture, even talking about it can get you punished. So it's part of like what we were trying to do with coming up with the phrase nexus and just like, you know, trying to unpack some of the specificities of how this all functions on the podcast. But yeah, in terms of what cancel culture actually is like, Basically, it has a lot of different components to it, but like we have all seen like people be called out for something, right? And part of the way that that works is that there is no um there is no mechanism through which the person is allowed to defend themselves or disagree, which is part of what is so 
intense about cancel culture because like, and you'll even see these like sort of infographics that are meant to be, I guess, reassuring, but they're like, what to do if you've been called out? And it, it always says like, just reflect on how you have been wrong and apologize sincerely. But like, what a bizarre thing to say, because it's like, in reality, of course, if someone gives you feedback, the first thing you should do is check to see if that feedback is accurate or like if you agree with that assessment, right? And so like, you know, if we were to make an analogy or compare this to like, you know, the criminal justice system, that would be like literally going immediately to sentencing without having a trial, right? Like there is no mechanism through which the accusations are ever held up to any kind of scrutiny. There is no process through which the accused is ever able to say their side of things or to say that they might disagree in some way. You know, it is just immediately assumed that if you have been called out, that you are wrong. Um, and that the, and then if you don't agree with that in any way, then you're actually just proving that you're even more wrong and you're even more bad because you're refusing to be accountable, right? Um, you're refusing to learn. These are the phrases that they use to describe it, which is really strange, you know? Um, And so that is a part of what's really fucked up about it. And then basically cancellation itself, like once you've been marked in this way as canceled, it is a process through which you will be subjected to incessant harassment. Usually you will receive like DMs, emails, comments, people tagging you, um, people making stories about you and tagging you. In some cases, people will make like entire like highlight reels on their accounts or they will create websites about you. Um, And then what they will do is they will encourage everybody else to share this information in like a viral way. Um, And then they will come for the people who still support you, whether that be your real life personal friends or whether it just be people who are following you. So like most people, um, you know, there's many, many people who follow me who have received some kind of message being like, well, do you know that Clementine Morgan is like problematic for these reasons? Or sometimes they don't even need to. They'll just say something as vague as Clementine Morgan has been accused of harm and has refused to be accountable. Like that's a totally empty statement, right? But that that's really all that's needed. And so what it does is because everybody else is now being harassed for being associated with you is it produces this phenomenon of like social ostracization and exile where people start losing their community like in a very real way. And then it can also come for like your employment. For example, like there are cancel campaigns in which people are encouraged to contact the employer of the person who is being canceled. Um, there, if you're self-employed like I am and like social media is a large part of your job, obviously this is like hugely threatening to your employment and your financial stability. Um, also like if you are like, even if they don't go directly to your employer, you will live with fear that your employer is going to Google you or that like if you try to get a new job, like they're going to Google you and they're going to see all of these like crazy accusations against you, which are like incredibly overstated, right? Um, like the, the accusation isn't like, I don't think that Clementine Morgan shared Black Lives Matter content enough on her Instagram. It is Clementine Morgan is a white supremacist, which is a very extreme thing to say about someone. And of course, without any information about the content of that accusation, people are going to be like, what the fuck? That sounds really bad, right? Um, And so, yeah, it can come for your employment. Um, In my case with housing, you know, I, many queer people live with like 10 other queer people. It's like a very specific cultural phenomenon. And part of that is because they're broke. um, And part of it is just because I don't know why queer people live together. And I like, like, so I was living in a collective living space. And basically once all of these accusations came out about me, I was expected to do an accountability process. 
Um, which is absurd because once again, why would I be doing an accountability process when I haven't done anything? And, and there was no like, Hey, we want to check in with you about to see if you're okay, because these people are like slandering you all over the internet. It was just like, we are going to hold you accountable for these vague, crazy accusations being said about you on the internet by fucking Americans, by Americans who don't know me, right. Who have no actual relationship to me. And the fact that I was, you know, openly abolitionist and posting about abolition for a very extended period of time before the internet suddenly realized that, like, racism existed and suddenly realized that, like, the cops are bad just, like, in June. Like, I'm like, I'm sorry, but I already knew that and I was already posting about this. It's not something that is new. But anyway, so in some cases, it can actually result to people being driven out of their homes. Um, And so cancel culture can literally affect people in like profoundly material ways by taking away their employment, their housing, their entire actual real life friends and community, because, you know, the people who did stick by me, like they lost friends. So it's asking a lot of people to like, you know, stand up for someone, a lot of people just aren't going to do it, and they're just going to abandon the person. So it's like, if you actually look at like, you know, this kinds of stressors and things that like, you know, are like put people at risk for suicide, you know, things like losing your job, losing where you live, like losing your, your important relationships, like any one of those things on their own are like a massive stressor. All of those things happening at the same time while also experiencing a huge campaign of like humiliation and public shaming and misrepresentation, you know, while all of your support systems are being taken away from you is literally like one of the worst things that could happen to someone. So it's like a profoundly, profoundly abusive um, thing. And many of the people who write to us, you know, and we can't emphasize enough how many people write to us and describe this experience. Like what happened to me is not unusual. We have received hundreds of messages from people being like, this is what's happened to me. And it's very, very similar stuff, you know, and so many of these people have contemplated suicide And some people go through with it, you know, and I'm just like, this is fucked up, man. And then all of this is happening and we're being like, this is not happening. And if you talk about it happening, that's fucked up. Yeah. And so there's like the material consequences on people's lives and the emotional consequences on people's lives. But there's also the impact on the left. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, from an ID or like from from just like a, a, a political perspective, like if you're trying to think about like how to move forward towards like a um, some kind of society that is run like by and for people who like work for a fucking living um, it is really scary to to think about this because like what it basically means is that we are unable um, as the left broadly speaking to talk about a lot of very important issues like we can't have public forums about them we just aren't able to um, the right is able to talk about things like the right is able to have like big conferences and stuff and they all talk and they argue and they hammer stuff out and and they come up with like ideological uh, platforms and all this kind of thing um, and on the left we are really incapable of doing that a lot of the time and you know it's like it's it's like it's because we we like we kind of act as though there is a consensus on on these issues mm-hmm. and we punish people who like aren't part of the consensus when simultaneously we literally know that there isn't a consensus on a lot of issues. Um, I would say in particular, our stances around like sex and gender are like very confused and conflicting. Um, but we all just kind of pretend like they're not. And, and we get really mad at anyone who has like a question, you know? Um, and, but there's lots of other issues that we have, we have, you know, 
very conflicting kind of like positions on or we just don't really have a position or the positions that a lot of people take for granted are like very confusing and don't make sense. Um, and we can't fucking hammer them out because like to talk about it, um, at least in a certain segment of, of what we call the left, um, can lead to like really severe consequences, you know? Yeah. And, and that, it's, it's, it's fucking terrible for our, uh, our prospects. Yeah. And people live in fear. And so it's like, you know, it's, it sucks because it's like, you know, we are facing some very, very serious problems in the world, you know, like we're not in a good place. And so like what we actually need is, is as many people using their critical thinking skills as possible. We need like people getting together and having like really serious conversations about all of these issues and being like, what the fuck are we going to do about it? Like, especially, you know, considering the potential extinction of our species and things like that, you know? So it's like, we actually need to be having like really serious conversations about all of these issues. We need to be taking them seriously and like figuring out what to do. But if so many people are living in fear of even beginning to like even not even speaking out loud what they think, but even thinking internally deeply and seriously about these issues because they're so afraid that they might have like wrong think and then they would have to know that they have wrong think and then they might express it on their face or something and then their life might end. So like they can't talk about it, you know, and I don't, yeah, like we really, it's very weirdly arrogant to act like we suddenly discovered all of the answers to these like complex political issues and now it's all figured out and everything and i'm like if it was all figured out i think that we might things might be a little bit better than they are right now yeah, totally. like we obviously have not figured it out and like really quick before we let you like ask us another question um <laughs> is uh is the fact that like you also have to think about kind of like recruiting people to the left or getting them interested and like when you think about what the left looks like like why would anyone be interested you know it's like insane and if you want like reg like really like regular people to be interested in the left, which is literally what we need if we want anything approaching like a mass movement, um, you know, you have to imagine like the lady who like works at the post office being interested in your politics. But like if your politics are just screaming at each other on the internet for like these like rhetorical missteps or something, like literally why would anybody why would anybody be interested? And like if they see the way that cancel culture plays out, if they see that like the the very concept of sort of like um, you know that we like sneer at the idea of like freedom of speech or something like that like regular people like freedom of speech they think it's important you know or like uh, at least like the, the freedom to sort of express like ideas right um, and yeah so if we're like if we're like openly against that kind of shit like why would anyone be interested in in being part of our political project and also if we can't offer them like a single thing that would actually make their like normal life better yeah. um, and if we're just like we're you know whatever like going on about our like pet um like identitarian projects like and threatening their job security yeah oh yeah and being like also we'll call your boss on you yeah like if, if we find out you said something on twitter like you know when you were literally 12 which weird shit like this actually is happening we were, people are being canceled for things they said when they were like literally 12 like or whatever like weird shit like that has happened and it's like you know people yeah. Yeah, people are just like, okay, that sounds really frightening. I'm going to try to stay away from this whole thing, you know? And that's that's not what we need. Like, no. we actually should be putting forth that, you know, we want to protect your job security. In fact, like, that's part of what the left is supposed to do. Yeah, yeah it's totally insane. I was reading recently all of these cases where people have been fired, like lawyers and people who work in legal areas, because they will quote, like, past legal decisions or read transcripts from cases where the n-word was used and so they're quoting the transcript and they say the word and then get fired like oh no you you shouldn't have said that even though you were it's like the 
And I think the one of the craziest parts too is the people that are questioning these things or thinking in nuanced ways about it on the left, I think are the bravest and probably most effective allies and activists and yet are totally alienated from like actually being able to help in ways um, because they don't subscribe to like the woke version of activism. Yeah. Um, what are, I'd love to hear when all of this sort of started coming about was right when I was coming to terms with a lot of my own trauma. Um, and I couldn't help but um, connect the two pieces here where like in my life, I spent a little bit of time not a little bit of time, a fair amount of time being like full of rage and angry and pointing fingers and blaming everybody else for all of the trauma that I suffered, which I do think is like an important step to like catapult us out of the toxic, unhealthy, abusive environment. But then it became very clear to me that there was no way that I was going to be able to move forward productively if I didn't take responsibility for my own life. And like, yes, these people treated me badly. Yes, there was a ton of fucking pain and abuse and grief involved in that but this isn't productive if I don't take responsibility for my life. And I know you guys have worked through a lot of your own trauma and I'm curious if like your work in 12 steps and dealing with your own trauma as it relates to this idea of like, you can't control what other people do or apologize for. This whole holding other people accountable thing is like in my experience, not only unproductive, but just not possible. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to hear if you guys made some of those same connections with this. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's actually really insulting to me as a survivor, the idea that my recovery and my healing and my capacity to move on with my life is in any way dependent upon the people who abused me, um, taking responsibility. Because if that was the case, then it's over then, I guess. I just can just go, I can just go home now because there's no point because, you know, like, I mean, my parents have not taken responsibility and like, you know, whatever, lots of people have done a lot of fucked up shit to me and they haven't taken responsibility. And, you know, I am still recovering from complex PTSD and I have made huge improvement. And so, yeah, I guess like, that first of all is like a very disempowering narrative to tell survivors. It's like that the idea that, that you can only recover if like, you know, the people who hurt you are also, you know, on their own recovery journey and, and, and are ready to take responsibility. It's very disempowering. And then also from the other side of that, you know, as, as an alcoholic and somebody who has acted in all sorts of fucked up ways, like, I also know that like, I was only able to come to a place of taking responsibility in an authentic way, like freely and in a non-coerced way, you know, where I was like, okay, it's time for me to like, fucking deal with my shit and yeah like the 12-step program that that I went through the 12 steps it like really created a container that is literally the opposite of cancel culture where you're treated with like unconditional positive regard you are like welcome regardless of how fucked up you have been you are encouraged to like identify with like your potential and like the best self that you could be and you're given tools to help you like move towards that, you know, and you do a lot of like internal work and you get stable and you like look at what the fuck was going on for you when you were acting in ways that were like hurting other people. And by the time you get to a place of making amends, which would be like the taking responsibility part, like you're actually able to make real 
actual heartfelt, genuine amends where you can actually be like, this is like what is mine, you know, and and own it and like make repair. And like those are profoundly transformative experiences. I have made amends. I have received amends. I really i have helped other people make amends. I really believe in that work and I think it's really amazing and we should be encouraging people and like giving people the tools to do that work. But it's actually totally ridiculous to think that like shaming people, scolding people, threatening people, taking away the very things that they would need in order to be able to do that work is in any way going to give you what you're trying to get, right? Like that's, it's not going to work. And so, I mean, is that really what people are even after? Like, do they really want the person to genuinely take responsibility? Or in many cases, I think like what is going on is that people feel so fucking powerless that they want to dominate and control another person in order to like feel better. And that is literally the exact same logic that all abuse, like logic, like that's what, that's the logic of abuse. Like that for whatever reason, I have the right to dominate and control this other person because it makes me feel better, you know? Um, so I mean, I don't think that that's the way obviously towards, um, true responsibility and in fact it's like just creating more trauma like all around yeah in in 12 steps like you're you're very much encouraged to identify the places where you can change things like and to try not to spend all your time worrying about things that you cannot change right um and so that means that you also have to identify your part in conflicts and things that happen even if um you know in cases where um, it's pretty clear that you might be like the victim of something, you know, you, you're still, you're still encouraged to identify your part. Not all the time. Um, it depends on the thing, but with a lot of things. And so in the case of like something like, you know, uh, let's say you're being like massively misrepresented by a bunch of psychos on the internet. Um, you know, like when I talked to, um, an old, like a uh, 12 step mentor of mine about like my, you know, zillionth like minor cancellation or whatever a couple years ago he was just sort of like you have to identify your part in this you know and i was like okay but like i didn't fucking like do the things that they like accuse me of like i'm blah blah blah, you know and he was like okay but this is the thing that you keep doing (laughs) you keep hanging out with these fucking people yeah you know like why are you surrounded by people who keep demonstrating to you that they're like fundamentally untrustworthy and are willing to act in such like unhealthy ways like you have choice about that. Like you don't have to be surrounding yourself with people like that, you know? And I don't know. I think that that's kind of an important thing for me to realize. And I try now to be quite careful about, um, sort of like combing through people I meet to make sure that they, you know, are not, that they don't think that it's okay to treat people poorly, basically, you know? Um, because cancellation really is like, it's just like a way to treat people really badly, um, and feel good about it. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to hang out with people who think that that's okay. You know, um, it doesn't mean that I hate them or anything like that. Um, and you know, I think, well, almost everybody that I know, like at some point has been caught up in this kind of thing because like I hang out with a bunch of queer people. Um, but yeah, like. And I think that it's important to have compassion for people who are stuck in places where we are trying to get out of, you know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, yeah, like I, in order to take responsibility for myself, like I need to not be, I need to not be like putting myself in positions where 
um, all of my friends can abandon me, for example. You know what I mean? And that's something that is like a, a really difficult thing to learn. Um, but it's real. Yeah. I mean, can I just say one more thing about that? It's like say it whatever you want. <laughs> the, I mean, part of what we really wanted to do with fucking canceled and I hope we're doing it. It's something that we try really hard to do is that like, there are like, um, leftists who critique the, the nexus or who critique this dysfunctional culture, but usually they are completely outside of that dysfunctional culture. They're like socialists who just notice that like the queers are all destroying each other or like they saw Twitter one time and they're like, that seems frightening, but like they don't actually, they, they don't actually live inside that world. They're just like sort of aware of it. Right. And we are from directly in the heart of it. Like we are from like our lives are shaped by the, these discourses, you know, um, very, very, very much so. And so a lot of what we're trying to do is we're trying to speak to people who are in it, not just like, we're not just trying to critique it to people outside of it to be like, wow, look how fucked up and dysfunctional it is in here. But we're actually trying to be like, hi, we're very worried about you to the people who are in this culture and to the people who are treating each other like this, you know, and we're trying to we're trying to show like, look, we understand this because we're from here, but like, we also don't believe that this is the way. Um, and so like, I feel like that is what we're trying to offer, um, to this, to this community that we are from, but that doesn't necessarily mean maintaining personal relationships with people who are, you know, heavily, heavily subscribing to this, um, because it is actually like an unsafe and dangerous thing to do because yeah. these people will definitely stab you in the back. And like, to be honest, like, you know, I had like a huge breakthrough in therapy as the result of being canceled. And this was like the, my part in terms of like what Jay was saying is that like, I had actually lived in fear of being honest with my friends for years and years and years and years. Like if controversial topics came up, I just wouldn't say what I thought because I did not want to be canceled. So I just didn't tell the truth. But what that meant is that I was surrounded by people who were going to cancel me as soon as I got marked, right? And so once that happened, I lost almost all my friends. And so nowadays, you know, I'm very clear and transparent about who I am. I'm not a people pleaser. And so as a result, the relationships that I build today, though they are fewer, are stronger and more resilient because anyone who's going to be friends with me is already a badass and is prepared to be canceled. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah, you know, and I guess this is another, like, really frustrating part of all of this, the identity piece, the, like, identitarian piece, because, like, I felt like the only issue that I could possibly talk about or, like, critique or speak in a nuanced way about was the Me Too movement because I was a woman. Um, But, like, I couldn't talk about the gender thing because I wasn't non-binary or trans, even though, like, I've had a lot of, I was raised by someone who is non-binary, like, it didn't matter, Um, And I couldn't talk about the race piece because I was white. And I feel like for me, and I'm curious to hear what you guys think, like to me, what I see as a lot of anger and rage and unprocessed trauma coming as a result of either like personal prejudice or like long-term systemic issues. Um, And I feel like if we could just get together on the basis of like, traumatized people no matter what the trauma is sort of and like how did we all work through that and heal that because like I do have a lot of experience with that and I feel like I can't talk about the ways that I healed my trauma or the ways that I um you know decided to just like have take my agency back um because I wasn't a part of these minority communities and 
I, I was with someone for a while uh, who was black and who was older, so didn't totally understand or subscribe, but like totally raised in South Central, no privilege whatsoever, um, and was totally bewildered by all of this and really spoke to the, the energetic importance of like taking accountability for oneself and that like complaining about injustice, even if it exists, is not productive. Um, and I'm just interested, like, how do you guys tackle that? Because we're speaking about communities and people that I know all three of us really care about and that all three of us know face a lot of discrimination and a lot of unfairness. Um, but yet at the same time, it's like you can still experience, like, how can we talk to people about, like, yes, that's true, but is there another solution or another road forward that it's less based in victimhood and more based in empowerment? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think that there's anything wrong with complaining about injustice, you know, I think, well, like you were just saying, the question is sort of like, what, what do you want to do about injustice? Like what, what solutions are there? And what like concrete paths forward are there? And what, um, what platform do you want to put forward, you know? Um, And obviously, like, I'm a socialist, and I think that universal programs that are going to uplift everyone, um, are the things that are most likely to do away with the most suffering. You know, I think that there's really like clear and obvious reasons why that's true, you know? And I think that a lot of identitarianism gets, well, it's, it's very wedded to sort of like liberal representation in politics. Um, it's very, very easily co-opted, um, by, by the ruling class, um, because they can easily just throw a couple like token, whatever, pick a minority, into sort of like visible positions and and be like look like there's like a whatever like amazon supports like black lives matter or whatever it is you know what i mean that's it's so so easy right um yeah and yeah so like you were saying the question is sort of like what to do about it um the victimhood thing i mean it's tricky right because like i don't want to tell people that they're like not victims like people people literally are victimized you know and that's like a real thing Again, the question is what to do about it, you know? Um, And I think that, like, an important piece is, like, something that Clementine was talking about, which is, like, if you're waiting for your victimizers to take responsibility, um, you might be waiting forever, you know? So maybe maybe there's a different way to move forward than that, you know? Um, And, yeah, I don't know. I have have lots of thoughts about this, but I can pass it to Clementine for a bit. Um, Well... I think it was in a recent interview with John McWhorter where he was talking about that, like, white people's fear of being called racist is actually, like, debilitating and making white people, like, not think about things. I get he said it more eloquently than that. I can't remember exactly what he said. But he was just basically talking about how, you know that being called a racist is, like, a really bad thing to be called. And he's like, that's a good thing, like, that we've actually reached a place where we, like, see that racism is fucking wrong and dehumanizing, and most people don't want to be seen as someone who dehumanizes others, right? And so, I mean, it's a good impulse in white people to be like, I don't want to be racist, right? But what it's actually doing... Um, and I mean, this happens not just with race, but I'm talking about race because you were asking about, you know, like talking about a, uh, a, a type of oppression that doesn't affect me personally, right? 
Um, and I think that race is one that people feel really anxious about talking about if they're white or, or saying that they have opinions that differ from, from what is going on inside the nexus or inside this discourse, right? And so, like, I'll just speak for myself. But basically, what I found is that I was afraid to think deeply or speak clearly about racism because I knew that any wrong step could get me canceled. And so since I did get canceled for this topic, it freed me up to actually be like, all right, I need to think about what the hell is going on here. And part of what I came to understand, right, is that part of why I was canceled, even though they didn't say this directly, right, because it was weird what they accused me of. They said I wasn't sharing Black Lives Matter, but I was. So I, and I was already posting about abolitionism. So I wasn't sure, like, I was like, what are you actually accusing me of? But what they were actually mad about, I believe, though they didn't say this, is that I wasn't doing performative white guilt. I wasn't getting up there and doing performative white guilt. And so that's what was being expected of a lot of people, white people on Instagram um, at that time. And I wasn't doing it because I actually find that to be bullshit. And a lot of the behavior that a lot of um, white people were being encouraged to do at that time in the name of anti-racism, I actually understand to be racist, right? There's like a huge amount of like essentialism. There's a huge amount of like tokenizing um, like black and racialized people. And there's like a weird... Because when I was asked to, or basically I was told to deplatform, I was told to just give my account away to a black person. And I'm like, which black person? Like, specifically. Because that is, to me, I'm like, it's actually like a really offensive thing to say because it's acting as if black people are interchangeable and they just have one particular viewpoint. And I'm like, that's literally absurd, man. Like, who do you want me to ask? Like, do you want me to just go outside and find like some random kid at claw black person and be like, please take over my Instagram? That's like absurd. And so, like, fuck you, yeah, like, I'm just like, it's literally absurd. And, and like my engagement with opposing racism, like my engagement in taking racism seriously and thinking about it and trying to figure out like what I think is the right thing to do. That involves me doing like a lot of reading, a lot of research, a lot of thinking deeply, a lot of listening to different perspectives. And I do believe that it's important to listen to people who experience racism and to like, take that experience seriously but I also understand that like experience does not just flow into ideology right because people who have the same experiences don't have the same ideological views don't have the same political views don't believe the same things about what we should do about them right and so once I was like no longer like trapped in this like you know terror of just like you know I better just do what I'm told or or like I'll be canceled once I was just like all right I'm already canceled so I'm just gonna like free myself up to like think about this stuff really honestly like yeah I did find a tradition of like opposing racism that I am in alignment with and it is a socialist one and there are many there's a long tradition of like black and racialized socialists like coming out of the United States but also not just in the United States um, who are saying lots of things that I agree with and their ideas about um, opposing racism have to do with like um, implementing universalist programs, like Jay was saying, like vast uh, redistribution of wealth from the wealthy overlords who are destroying the planet to the rest of people who are working. Um, and also, like, it fundamentally has to do with um, refusing to dehumanize people and refusing essentialism, right? Which is part of the problem of, like, identitarianism is that it's, like, profoundly essentialist. So it actually is reproducing racism a lot of the time. 
um, by refusing to see racialized people as individual people with their own specific political views and ideas and whatever, not as a monolith. And this is another, like, instance of the gaslighting, you know? Because honestly, like, anyone who, anyone who like, lives in a big city and has, like, a normal cross-section of friends and acquaintances knows that, like sort of, like, critical race theory slash Afro-pessimism slash, like, liberal representationism or whatever, um, woke, like, identitarianism um, is not the dominant worldview among, like, quote-unquote BIPOC people. Like, it's an absurd statement. We know that that's not true. Like, anybody who has fucking friends knows that that's not true. And so... um, and so, like, I don't know. I'm just sick of being told that it is. Like, it's, it's like, really fucking annoying, you know? I'm like, stop telling me something that we both know isn't fucking true. Um, like, there are, among racialized people, there are, like, a huge... There's a huge range of political opinions. Like, of man. course. Like, obviously, yeah. because they're fucking people. Yeah. You fucking racists. Yeah. Like, they, they fucking... They differ one from the other because they're human and beings. And there's, like, different know? traditions of thought, like, that racialized people have been involved with i don't know like yeah, i'm just like fucking obviously obviously um so yeah there's like so re- much of that that's like kindergarten lessons that i'm like did we not learn this like way early yeah. on like yeah like it's it's, it's it's fucked up man i'm fucking sick of and it. the fact that people are like are afraid to just say that and to be like look like like i'm kind of like you know i've reached a point where i'm like my commitment to opposing racism is more important to me than my fear of being called racist like if I have to try to protect my reputation and I'm going to go around doing things that are not in alignment with my politics and my integrity, and I'm going to act like this stuff is not absurd and dehumanizing when it obviously is like, no, like I'm actually just going to stick to my principles. And like, I don't know, like one of the people that was canceling me, you know, was saying to me, like the black community thinks this, that, or the other. And I was like, honestly, who are you talking about? And like, please tell me the exact thinkers that you're engaging with Um, and tell me what you like about their thoughts. Show me the article so I can read them. I will show you the thinkers that I agree with. Here's what they're saying. Like, that's how you have a normal conversation and actually respectfully engage with thinkers and, like, scholars and writers and organizers who are specific people with specific ideas that you do or do not agree with. Like, I just, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think I just talked about this in the intro to a podcast I did where I had someone on, black guy, but uh, not American. I spent time in America, but isn't American and has lived basically everywhere. And I feel like for a long time, I've been obsessed with sort of like bringing cross-cultural and just subjective experiences to the dialogue because I feel like people think that like a different narrative is presented than theirs, that what I'm saying is that their narrative is wrong, which is not what I'm doing. I'm basically just saying like, I think it's really important that we recognize like where our experience is subjective and informed by our own experience and not assuming that everything that we feel is what universally is felt by everybody else. Yeah. Um, but there's this weird, like even with him, it was like, Oh, but he's a, he's not from America. So even though he's a black person, he can't speak to like the black American experience. Um, And I'm sure you guys have gotten that as well because you're Canadian, like, oh, you don't get it or something. Well, I mean, bizarrely, they expect us to literally know everything about what is going on in the United States and to only care about that and to only focus about that all the time, right? right? Like, it's so American. The fact that, like, we are Canadian is like. And not even just Canadian, like, we live in Quebec, you know? So it's like, I don't know, it's funny, like, I got into an argument with, like, uh, somebody on Instagram and, and, and. 
because I relapsed and went on Instagram. Um, uh, and they were like, uh, you know, they were like saying that I need to like listen to black people. And I was like, okay, like if I walk out my door, ça va être en français, premièrement. So, like, yeah. it's like people are going to be speaking to me in French and they're not going to be black Americans because they're not American. Um, and they will have completely different ideas than you about. I mean, th in this case, it was about like the. Uh, appropriation of like african-american vernacular english and i'm like did you know we actually have our own language politics in quebec that are different yeah. than the politics that you're worried about you know um including like including like racial language politics like you know there's like there's like different kinds of french that are spoken you know and and racialized people might be more likely to speak like certain like dialects of french and stuff like that and like who is allowed to use a dialect of french that's from like the the sort of like ghetto in France, you know, like, and, and is allowed to use words from that and stuff. And it's like a whole other conversation. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that this like American teenager or whatever that was trying to argue with me on Instagram, like has no fucking idea about any of that yeah, um, at all. And, and yet is like expecting me to like listen to um, basically like that, that person, you know? Um, anyways, yeah. yeah. And it's then just, also, it's, just silly, man. it's like, and then even beyond that, I mean, obviously like this, this culture, um, that we're talking about is like very American centric and it tries to, uh, export American politics globally. And it tries to force everybody in the world to think through an American framework, but also even within the United States, I'm like, there is a huge amount of diversity of politics and p opinions and beliefs. And, um, like Cedric Johnson, who's a writer I really like was just talking about how like the black American population is like larger than the entire population of Canada but nobody is going to make a statement being like this is what Canadians believe because the, the Canadian community has the, Canadi <laughs> the Canadian community thinks this or that like and he's like so why is it that like certain populations we are like we grant them that diversity and that like that internal diversity and understand that like such a large population is obviously going to think different things but like in the case of like black Americans it is like totally flattened in this bizarre way I'm like it's just simply not correct like if you actually talk to people you will see that they think different things. Right. Well, I don't think people understand, like, what social constructionism is across the board. Like, I don't think, especially in America, at least, like, we're also so cut off. Like, I feel like when you live, especially, like, in Europe or just anywhere in Asia, the countries are, are a lot closer together, and people sort of, like, go in and out and experience different cultures. And I feel like in America, we're totally... We think that so much about who we are and how we feel is grounded in this sort of like objective universal truth um, and I think it's so important that we recognize like okay yes even if like black people as a whole were persecuted and and there's prejudice around this community each individual person is going to ex not only experience that differently but like we were talking about before has the right to take a unique personal approach to how they deal with that and some people might feel incredibly victimized and other people might not and like that's their prerogative. Um, but I think we're just very, like, I don't know, I, I personally find a lot of comfort in recognizing that, like, these labels or identities that we take on are, you know, created to some extent, and we can change them, and we can evolve them, and we can adapt them. And, like, that to me is empowering, but I think sometimes that there's this just connectivity to, like, oh, don't question my, you know, my identity um, because then I won't know who I am. And I think that's partially what's going on here. It's just this like yeah. fear of, do you know what I mean? I mean, I um, think there's like two things, right? Like, because there's different ways to think about all of this shit. Right. And, and there's like a more individual level 
way of looking at it and then there's a more social level way of looking at it and on an individual level I think it totally makes sense to be like well you know there's things about your outlook that you can like change and and there's like work the healing work that you can do that will make you feel better and all this kind of thing but then like on a social level that's not really like a policy that's that's just like self-help you know um and when you get to like a policy level that's when you know you can start be like well how do we actually like fix these fucking problems and like i don't know just looking at the united states man it's like you know, arguing over, like, who's, like, more likely to get COVID and stuff, like, when you don't have fucking healthcare is crazy to me. Like, it's just fucking crazy, man. Like, there, you guys don't have fucking healthcare. Um, and, and, like, it's obviously, like, a social program that would help everyone immeasurably, you know? Um, and yet, like, you can't even organize, like, a decent campaign around it, you know? And, I don't know, like, that's just one example of sort of, like, how this sort of, like, bickering about um, who is like slightly more fucked by like the the mess that you're in um, is taking right. the place and taking the energy out of like struggles that could like literally make it better for people, you know? Um, yeah. 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 Which, which brings me to the, the question I wanted to ask about power as well. I think you guys on one of your podcasts, probably more than one, um, we're speaking about like this idea of asking people to give up their power and like how much about how much of power is, connected to race versus class, for example. Um, and I also, I, I just wanted to hear your thoughts about power in general. Um, and I think Clementine, we both talked about this in like the BDSM space, but I actually think it applies <laughs> very well to this conversation. Cause I like, I look outside and I look at nature and I see like transactional relationships and power all over the place. Like, I don't think power is inherently problematic. I think when power is abused, it's problematic. Um, and I just, I wonder how you guys think about that as far as the idea of like giving up power and what that looks like. And is that the right strategy? And is there a way to actually use any power or privilege that we have in a positive way to help people, um, instead of this idea of sort of like giving it up? Okay. So like, basically, yeah, I remember the first time that Jay said to me that they like, didn't really like subscribe to privilege theory and I was like I have no idea what's going on right now um but basically like the idea the, the framework of privilege what it does is it takes things that are just basic human like the things that everyone should have and it's being like well some people don't have what everyone should have and so the people who do that have those things are privileged which is like kind of a backwards way of looking at it because those are not privileges. Like privilege implies like something extra or something special, right? That's just a basic human thing that everyone should have. And so being like, that's a privilege um, and you should give some of that up for somebody who doesn't have it is kind of absurd. It's absurd on a number of levels because number one, it's like, well, why should you give up something that you need? Um, a basic human thing, you know? And then two, it's like, that's not appealing, you know? people don't want to give up their basic things. So if you're trying to get people on board in a massive way to make massive um, social transformations, telling them that they need to give things up um, isn't necessarily very uh, strategic. But also it's like, what are you asking people to give up, right? Like there's all of this, this idea that people are so privileged. I'm like, uh, like most people can barely afford to pay their fucking rent. Like most people do not. Yeah. Like the United States doesn't have healthcare. People like literally have to stay at jobs that they hate because if they leave, they won't have any healthcare. And if they get into an accident, then they'll die. Like, it's just like really, really insane levels of bleak, you know? And so what, what I'm saying is that the hierarchy that we have is between like a billionaire class 
that really severely is controlling all of us and actually sending the planet into a species extinction level situation. Okay, and then we have all of these people at the bottom who have to give up the majority of the money that they make at their shitty jobs to their landlords for no fucking reason, who don't even have any health care, who are all just like living in this like dystopian nightmare. And it's not to say that like some of them don't have it easier than others. Like for sure, some of them are living in a bleak, bleak dystopian nightmare where like violence and like suffering and and like starvation and like really severe trauma are just like day-to-day life. And others are like somewhat cushioned from that, you know? But ultimately we're all pretty fucked. And so the idea that someone who is like, you know, fucked, but not that fucked should give up what they have to someone who's severely fucked is just not very helpful. And so like what I think is that all of us together, we need to see our common interests as profoundly exploited under capitalism. And and we need to work together to actually try to change things in a profound way and soon because we're running out of time in terms of the climate. But like, yeah, it's just like, it's really, it's really crazy. And I, and I honestly think that what is happening is it's scapegoating because we're living in a time and like Mark Fisher calls it capitalist realism. Um, we're living in a time where people cannot imagine the end of capitalism and it is easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism where we feel totally, completely like you know, declawed and toothless. Like our social movements have sort of become about symbols and representation. And like, none of us really believe that that real change is gonna happen or is possible. And so because of that, you know, because like these terrifying billionaires and these corporations and these governments are so completely out of reach, it is easy to turn some person with some degree of like having a little bit more um, into a symbol a scapegoat that we can then, if we, if we project it at that person, you know, and we demand that they give up the little bit that they have, then we can feel like we're actually doing something. Yeah. And you can fool yourself into thinking that it's punching up when it's fucking lateral violence, you know, or like, honestly, in the case of like, let's say conservatives who like, don't like the pores or whatever, they can convince themselves that they're kind of like punching down, but it's still lateral violence because you're in the same fucking boat as them, you know? Um, like more or less, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm a Marxist. And so I subscribe to a Marxist idea of how the world works. And what that means is that I think that power involves the control of the means of production, basically. Um, and, and that means that there's a class of people who have power and another class of people that doesn't, you know, um, it's not always so simple, but that's like a pretty good rule of thumb. You know, and I think it was David Graeber who pointed out that it's funny that like all these academics subscribe to a really Foucauldian um, yeah. theory of power. It that's was all David about Graeber. yeah, that's all about sort of like um, words and symbols and messages and whatever um, because they happen to have not a lot of money but lots of words. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and but yeah, like in reality, like power comes from like the capacity to enact violence, um, like legally sanctioned violence. And the capacity to control the economy, you know, and most of us do not control the economy and most of us are not allowed to enact like legally sanctioned violence, you know, so the kinds of power that we do have are fleeting, um, they're situational, they're, you know, they definitely don't structure like every single part of your life, Um, they're often sort of like counteracted by like other various forces because like 
all of us have complicated like life histories and stuff. Um, often what people call power is really just like, I, it's identical with what they call privilege, which is really just like the, you know, um, like Clementine was saying, it's like things that we really should take for granted for all people, um, such as, you know, the ability to like walk down the street unmolested is like a privilege that like lots of like straight men enjoy. Um, but it's also something that everyone should enjoy. Like there's no, there's no like sense in trying to like get someone to give up something like that. And even if they could, which they, right. they like can't. Right. Um, but yeah. And so I think that we should like be refocusing our, our idea of what power is towards, um, basically, yeah, like the, the control of the economy and we want to, um, remove control of the economy from the class of people who control it. And we want to, uh, make that, that control be democratically and horizontally, uh, controlled, you know, and that's what socialism is. And so we think that if we do that, then, um, people, will have a lot more power. Um, individual, like, working people will have a lot more power. Um, and more importantly, perhaps, the class of people who currently have almost all the power uh, won't anymore. And power will be more um, evenly dispersed, you know? And yeah, so I mean, that's basically what I think about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like across the board here, like I always say that I don't think it seems like we're seeking justice, but more compensatory injustice. Like, where they were talking about putting women in power instead of men or putting black people in power instead of white people in power. It's like, are we just going to do the exact same thing and just flip the groups? Um, like, I don't, well, we've had, we've had Margaret Thatcher and Obama. So like, right. did it change anything? You know, like yeah. wh whatever, like it's not, it's definitely not like a bad thing to have um, the ruling class be like more diverse uh, but it's also not a good thing to have the ruling class be more diverse. It's like a, it's the same thing. I mean, can I say something though? Like there is a way in which it is a bad thing. And the reason that it's a bad thing is that it makes people think change is happening and it's fucking not. Right. And so that's the only way in which it is a bad thing. I mean, it's literally the same thing. It's neutral in the sense that nothing is changing. But the, the way that it's bad is that it convinces people that things are changing. Right. And so that is not good because we don't want we don't want to be pacified through this belief that like, wow, if it's like a woman doing it or if it's a racialized person doing it, then we're, wow, we're so empowered because I also am a woman or whatever. It's like that woman doing that is literally not you. That's a different person. And they're literally, uh, they're literally oppressing you. Like there is, um, Walter Ben Michaels is, um, a scholar that I really appreciate and like, and, um, he talks a lot about this kind of stuff. And in, in one of his, interviews it was on Jacobin he was like that's that's not your racial friend that's your class enemy um and he was basically saying that like you know people are being taught to feel this identitarian like resonance with people who are actually their class enemies who are actually people who are in profound positions of power over them in in, a, in the real sense of the word you know um who are controlling their their lives and then just because this person like looks like you or shares an identity category with you you're supposed to somehow feel personally uplifted by that but you're not yeah and that goes for white racists as well as like uh, identitarian liberals you yeah know? um yeah, I think there's like another component to it too, which Adolf Reed talks about a lot, um, which is just, I mean, and this is like dealing with race again, um, which is just that like the the situation as regards white supremacy um, is not the same now as it used to be. Like it actually has changed, you know, um, but a lot of people within the nexus or within like the identitarian kind of like worldview um, act very much as though not much has changed, right? 
and they will use um, or they will they will talk about racism as though it is still like um, made up of things like chattel slavery, right? When we all know that it isn't, right? Um, and that confuses everyone, and it makes us so that it's really kind of difficult to talk about things accurately. Um, and the reality is that, like, in the past, and actually not so very long ago, uh, there very much was another kind of power. And again, like, it was like an economic form of power that was, like, nakedly white supremacist, right? Like, you were not, you were literally not allowed to, like, own property and, like, and it was also, like, uh, it was also very sexist, right? You were literally not allowed to own property if you were a woman. You were literally not allowed to immigrate to Canada if you were, like, a person of color. You know what I mean? Until, like, the 60s. Um, and and that is, like, a naked um, um, white supremacist, sexist, homophobic system that was tied to economic power. Um, and that system no longer exists in the same form. It, it literally doesn't, you know? And so we have to acknowledge that when we're thinking about power. Like, we, we have to be able to... To understand that it doesn't mean that the effects of that don't reverberate through history they do and they continue to be felt you know and i think in canada particularly they continue to be felt um with people who are first nations and inuit um but yeah it's it's just simply not the same situation as it used to be and and i think that it's to our detriment to not um understand that fully and be able to think about it accurately yeah, because if you if you want to address a problem, you first need to be able to look at what the problem actually is. And like, yes, of course, you need to understand like the history that is like leading to the moment that you're in. But you also need to fully grasp the moment that you're in um, in order to come up with solutions that are actually going to be effective. Yeah. And people people will especially recently, people have been throwing around terms that I don't think that they understand very well. Um, racial capitalism is one of them. Um, but even before like this year, um, there, there, whatever, I, I saw a lot of people sort of like misunderstanding how capitalism works. Um, and I think that if you're, if you're honest and you have like a clear understanding of how capitalism works, um, it's pretty clear that capitalism is very able to function, uh, without a, you know, nakedly white supremacist, sexist, homophobic system. Like it, it actually doesn't need that. Um, there were ways in which it was convenient for capital um, to have that in the past. Um, and now it's very clear that that's not actually like a prerequisite, you know, um, not only in the United States, but like globally, like obviously like the entire world basically has been like, um, has been imperialismed into capitalism now. Um, and the entire world is not made up of straight white men, you know? Um, so it's it's very obvious that capitalism is able to function um, in, in a more, well, in a completely multiracial and um, in many cases, uh, gender egalitarian way. Yeah. What do you guys, how do you guys feel since launching the podcast? Do you feel more optimistic, less optimistic, more exhausted? <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm interested to hear, like, where do you guys think we're going? Do you think that this is going to change? Do you think... Um, we're headed more toward, you know, fixing the world versus the apocalypse. Uh, but also I wonder how much that outcome matters to you guys. I feel like for me, I got to the point where I don't really care if my like individual actions change the world. I'm still going to just act that way anyway. Um, 
So I'm, I'm curious to hear how you think about the future, whether it informs how you're acting now, but also, yeah, do you feel like you're like shouting into a big black hole sometimes and um, that changing this is going to be really long and difficult? I mean, I think that changing this is going to be really long and difficult, if by this we mean like global capitalism. Um, but I, I really, I really do have to believe that there is a point um, I really do care about human beings. I really do care about the ecology of the world. I really do care about the potential extinction of our species. I really do care about human suffering. Um, I really don't want people to suffer and I really want things to change. Um, I have to believe that it's possible even if I don't know, um, how, and I honestly think that for me, like a big part of all of this is not acting like I have all of the answers. I really do not. And that is like part of the thing. I don't. I would like to talk to people about it um, so that we might be able to come up with the answers together. And so in order to do that, we have to create a culture in which it is OK to talk about things. And so that is a lot, a large part of what we're doing um, with the podcast um, and like, you know, the writing that we do and like whatever, is we're trying to create, we're trying to create a space on the left. Um, and you know what, in particular, like, I'll say it, you know, I want a space on the left, where we can be queers, where we can be freaks, where, you know, half the people, you know, use they, them pronouns are, and are polyamorous and into BDSM and whatever the fuck it is, because that's, that's who I am. And that's the world that I live in. And I love those people, you know, I want, I want socialist spaces where those people are able to really have serious conversations about things like climate change and the economy and how to get healthcare in the United States and like whatever other fucking issues. And like, yeah, all the stuff that we've been talking about, I don't want it. Like there's these jokes about brochalists, right? Um, these like sort of cis hat white guys who talk about socialism, but I'm like, yeah, because they're not in danger because they're not literally inside the nexus. So they're more free to talk about socialism, you know, and they're more free. I mean, they might still kind of get canceled, but it's like not every single person that they know is deeply in this culture. So they have more freedom to talk about these things. Right. And to just say out loud what they're thinking. And I want that for the people that, that are in my community, the people who I share identity categories with or weird lifestyle choices with, you know, and I want, I want like, I don't want a socialism that is freaky for everyone, but I want a socialism with freaky options, you know? And I... <laughs> socialism with freaky characteristics. That's for some, for those who choose. Um, that is my platform. Um, not, for, not freaky socialism for all. Socialism for all, freaky for those who choose. And like, I... <laughs> I want us to be able to just talk about these things. I want I want people to be able to be like, I don't know, I don't have all the answers, but I'm thinking critically and seriously and I'm reading and I'm having conversations and I'm I'm strategizing and we're trying things out. And like I really believe that's the only way we're gonna fucking get anywhere, right? And so I just don't want people to be terrified that they're gonna lose their job and they're gonna lose everything if they even try to think out loud about these questions. And so I'm trying to model that. I'm trying to model life after cancellation and show people that, you know, your life doesn't have to be over. We're trying to build communities so that people have a place to go if they fucking lose everything where they will still have friends and where they will still be uplifted and supported. And like, I have made so many canceled friends since being canceled. And like, I'm really trying to um, like love people and support them and, and show them that their lives aren't over so that they can, so that, not just so that they can be okay, but so that more and more people can start to be brave so that they can start saying what they think. And then hopefully we can start to move towards the real work, 
which is building socialism, which is actually working together um, and having think tanks and like having really deep fucking conversations on many scales with many different types of people with many different ideas to figure out what the fuck to do in a concrete way about any of these huge problems that we're facing, right? So... Um, Yeah, and I'll just say that like... So I've long noticed that people within the Nexus hate it there. Um, And every single one of the people who's canceled me, people that I know personally, I've had personal conversations with, because most of them were my friends, um, I've had personal conversations with them in which they told me how much they hated um, these like identitarian excesses, how much they hated cancel culture, um, how scared they were, like how little sense it made, whatever. And it's like so many fucking people will have these conversations with you one on one when they think that like they're safe, you know, yeah. or at least they'll have them with me. Um, but like and I already mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, but yeah, but they won't speak up about it publicly because it's very, very scary, you know, and, you know, also they, they might not be like um, they have one foot in, one foot out. Right. But I know that people fucking hate it in there, man. They're fucking afraid. And and I'm just like, the main issue, honestly, is that they don't have somewhere to land, like, if they leave, you know? It's kind of like leaving um, a cult or, like, an extremist organization or something like that. Like, if you're, like, let's say you're, like, a neo-Nazi, like, skinhead, you know? Um, and you were recruited when you were, like, 15, and now you're, like, 19, and your, like, career as a skinhead is, like, reaching its close. <laughs> and you're, and you um, are kind of, like, starting to be like, wow, this is pretty fucked up. Uh I'm in like a really scary gang and um, they do really fucked up things and I'm kind of like not into it anymore and also like I've grown up a bit more I'm less angry maybe and maybe I've started to think a little bit and I'm just sort of like maybe like these conspiracy theories about like Jews don't make sense and maybe actually like the the Pakistani guy who runs the shop is like a really like seems like actually kind of a nice guy or whatever you know what I mean you start to question your like racial brainwashing blah 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 and you want to exit but there's nowhere for you to go and you know that your like old crew will come and fucking get you and that's why like for like neo-nazi skinhead gangs there are exit programs right that will like reach out to these guys and be like we'll actually like get you like an apartment and like um like a safe place to be and like de-brainwash you and like help you find a job and like there's like tattoo artists who will like get your fucking racist tattoos covered over and stuff like that you know what i mean and whatever i'm not saying that people in the nexus are neo-nazis um but they do need somewhere to land, man, and they need they need uh, to feel safe for when they leave, you know. And they also need to know that there's people who were like them who left successfully, yeah. you know. Yeah, and that leaving doesn't mean going to the right, and that's like a huge thing that's that a we're huge trying thing, man. that we're trying to model because you know, and like we're very firmly fucking leftists. Like we all we always have been, always will be, and we're all, we were already like I mean. I'm I'm just like give everyone everything that they need. I literally don't fucking care if they didn't work a day in their goddamn life. I don't even care if they didn't work a day in their goddamn life because they literally just don't feel like it. Give them housing, give them food, give them healthcare, give them every fucking thing that they need. And I don't see that as a radical position. That's just obvious to me. Um, but whatever. There are other people who who are sort of more like maybe like left-ish liberal types, right? Um, who don't have these very firmly held leftist convictions, or maybe they just don't really know what they think. Um, and what they're noticing is that this very dysfunctional culture is being called the left, even though it has no economic analysis, and even though it treats people like shit and gets them fired from their jobs, so it's definitely not the left. But, like, whatever. Um, it's being called the left, and so they're like, maybe I don't like the left. And, like, what ends up happening is that people are like, wow, I'm terrified of my friends, I'm not allowed to say anything, I keep getting canceled for, like, ridiculous things, like, I hate this. And so they start Googling 
And when they're Googling, what's the first thing that's coming up, right? They're fucking Jordan Peterson. They're finding the intellectual dark web, which is some weird fucking scary phenomenon that I don't even know about. But, like, it's not good, man. And so they go there, and these guys are not very bright, and they don't really know what they're talking about. And apparently Jordan Peterson talks about chaos dragons. But basically, because of the fact that they are somewhat saying the same kinds of things that these these people are thinking and are afraid to say. They're like, I guess this is what I believe. And Jay and I have literally intercepted on the drift to the right a few times from like people that we've met online who have become friends of ours who have started to drift right because they're looking for answers and this is what they're finding. And we're like, no, 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 no. Like you can absolutely critique this shit from a firmly leftist position. Um, There's no need for chaos dragons unless that's how you identify. Unless that's how you identify. (laughs) I personally joke that I identify as a chaos dragon just because I'm like, I just want to like meet Jordan Peterson and be like, look, man, I don't know what the fuck's going on, but I am personally a chaos dragon. Yeah, we need to have that intervention with Jordan Peterson. Yeah. yeah. Like a bunch Um, of like poly, queer, like powerful women. Like what is happening? Yeah. I don't even know what he's talking about, but I think it's funny. But anyway, so... I, I'm just like, yeah, we really need to model that we can critique these things very firmly from the left and that it, it's not a contradiction because like leftist politics are literally about treating people well. Like, I mean, it's hilarious. Like I, the abolitionist push, right, that happened this summer, like the contradiction is so bizarre. Like people are like, yes, we believe in abolishing jails and we think that people who have committed serious violent crimes should be given their freedom, given a second chance, should be treated with compassion. And I agree with that. Like I'm an abolitionist. I agree with that. So they say that on the one hand, and then they're like, if you ever made a a tweet that we think is problematic, we believe that you should lose all of your friends and that you should be exiled. Like, those two things are contradictory. You you have to choose. Like, are you an abolitionist or not? And if you are an abolitionist, that means that you believe that no one is disposable and you believe that people are capable of change and you believe in autonomy. You believe that it's wrong to, like, forcibly coerce people and to, like, take away their freedom. Like, all of those are the basic fundamental abolitionist ideas. So I'm just like... It's totally contradictory. And so, yeah, there's no contradiction with being a leftist and opposing cancel culture. And we have to model that so that people don't get sucked into the chaos dragon side of things because that's dangerous. And, like, on that topic, like, just to bring it back to race again, because apparently that's what we're doing this episode. Like, we, we're anti-racist. Like, that's literally, like, why we believe what we do, you know? And we think that, like, what's going on in the nexus is often extraordinarily racist. And, like, these these, like, white libs are, like, swallowing this, like, really fucked up messaging about people of color, you know, that treats them all the same and, like, treats them, like, I don't know, the, have you seen the fucking, well, okay, this is a tangent, but anyways, whatever. So the point is, <laughs> um, we want to also show people that you can be anti-racist and not subscribe to these, like, bizarre fucking nexus ideas about race, you know, right. and that, like, you know, again, like, I get most of my ideas about anti-racism from, like, these black Marxists, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not, like, anyways... Yeah, Um, and it's gotten to the point where, like, I mean, I'll still use the phrase anti-racism, but I almost don't want to use the phrase anti-racism because it is so tied up with this, like, very neoliberal, like, essentialist type of, quote, anti-racism that actually is reproducing racism. So I started using the phrase opposing racism and opposition to racism as, like, a sort of weird, like, distinguishing myself from that. Um, But yes, like, I think that white people should take their opposition to racism, like, very, very, very seriously, and that includes, like... If you're being encouraged to um, see, like, billions of people in a essentialist, homogenizing way, like, that you should resist that because it's dehumanizing. 
Yeah, dude. And if you see, okay, so I am actually going to go down this path. If you see like a document that's like um, about like a white supremacy culture, and it's like you know, like um, like white people like time and words, you know, and, and then like and math and like people Logic. of color like are you know they don't understand time and they like they don't know math and like they're not good at words. Maybe you should be like, that's really racist. That's really fucking racist. I don't agree with that. I don't accept that at all. You know, um, yeah. So we just want uh, we want to let people know that they can they can be opposed to racism without being in the nexus. And honestly, yeah, like I would say I am hopeful. Like I think that there's um, there's lots of people who hate this shit and are stuck in it and they don't want to be there. And then there's a lot of people too who um, I don't know, like look around and see that something is very 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 wrong. Um, and they're not being offered a lot of like good, um, interpretations of that because the left is like fucking dead in America and also in Canada. Um, and you know, they're drifting into like fucking QAnon and like all these like crazy weird things or they, you know, they start believing in like reptiles around the world or, or whatever. Um, or they become like Tucker Carlson, like right wing people or like they get sucked into like racist shit or whatever it is. And you know, I'm like if we just offer these people something better, like there's really like no reason why they wouldn't come to the socialist left. The socialist left is objectively like less insane than all of those things. Um, and if we weren't so busy fucking like canceling each other over dumb shit, like I'm sure that people would be interested, you know, um, you know, people hate politicians. Everybody fucking hates politicians, man. You know, like people hate their boss. Everybody hates their boss. People hate landlords. Everybody fucking hates landlords. You know what I mean? These are like actually like very easy sells, <laughs> you know? And uh, it's like a travesty that we can't get more people interested in it. But I think that we, we can, like there, there's not any reason why we can't. Um, so I don't know. I think the fucking cancel is just like one, one drop in the bucket of, uh, of like a kind of like socialist reaction to the identitarian turn that's taking place. I think that there's like a bunch of other people talking about it too. And mm -hmm. I think that that's really cool. I think one thing that does distinguish fucking canceled as Clementine noted is that we really come from within the nexus. We're not outside of it, criticizing it. Um, I think that that's important too, but like we, we really are from within it and we want to like bring people with us. So yeah. I think that the, like we're, you know, there's been like a really positive reception to the podcast. Yeah, like it has been, we get like a lot of listens, man. Um, and I don't know, our guests, like we're, we're getting like really cool guests on and stuff. And I'm, I don't know, I'm happy, uh, I'm happy with the way it go it's going. And I think that it's just going to keep getting bigger and, um, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say, like, I feel like you both were the first people I found on the internet who were also talking about this stuff. And I feel like I truly, I mean, I probably wasn't alone back in like 2018 when I started talking about it, but I definitely notice a difference now. And, and my whole, my, that was like my entire premise of starting the podcast too, was like, I'm not from the right. Like I'm the most liberal person I know. I've been saying that about myself since I was 12 years old. Um, but yet I don't agree with these more sort of like woke rhetorics. Um, so I really appreciate that you both are doing this and I feel like we have a club now, which is really cool. <laughs> like when people start harassing us on the internet, um, I feel like I have friends. It's not just me sort of like screaming into the void or trying to protect myself. So I really applaud what you're doing. And I think I do encourage other people who have the ability to speak up publicly to do so. Um, because one, I feel like it makes people less alienated who can't speak up. Um, and also I think just like vulnerability in this way breeds more vulnerability. And I, this is like activism should be dangerous and should be vulnerable and scary. Like that's what it is. Um, so yeah, I really applaud what you guys are doing. 
Thank um, you. Thanks so much. Before we wrap up, uh, tell people where they can find you um, so that they can cancel you. Just kidding. (laughs) 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 Where they can find you. And then um, I also ask everyone who's on the podcast if they, I know you both probably read a ton of books, but if you could recommend a book or two that was really valuable to to you, what would it be? Um, And we choose, I have a Patreon and we choose books that guests have recommended and read them together as a book club. Oh, that's cool. That's sweet. Uh, Well, we have a Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash fucking canceled. Uh, canceled has two L's because we're Canadian. Um, you can email us at fuckingcancelled at gmail.com. Fucking has no U because Gmail wouldn't let us, and canceled again has two L's. Um, yeah. Clementine is uh, on Instagram. Yeah, well, you're on Instagram too. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Clementine Morgan. I also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Clementine Morgan. And you can buy my writing and stuff um, at clementinemorgan.com. Um, and I'm like, what books? Hmm. Um, well, I feel like I mentioned it a bunch um, in this podcast, and it might be interesting and relevant, um, which is. Terror, Love, and Brainwashing by Alexandra Stein, um, which is a book about cults and, um, and, um, like, fundamentalist ideologies, um, which might be interesting. And then maybe I will also recommend, I'm thinking about what I'm reading right now, I, maybe I will also recommend, um, Toward Freedom, um, The Case Against Race Reductionism by Toure Reid, who is one of my favorite scholars. Um, I will recommend, it's unrelated to cancel culture, I just think it's an amazing book, uh, Bullshit Jobs by David Graeber, um, I think is, like, the most sort of, like, wicked fucking takedown of the really insane places that capitalism has gotten us to recently, um, so I highly recommend that, uh, I recommend, um, anything you can pick up by Mark Fisher, but especially, yeah, but especially his book, uh, Capitalist Realism, uh, wait, that's what it's called, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely uh, read that. And then, in terms of nonfiction, I like to recommend. Um, you, that was there. Were, those were nonfiction. Or sorry, in terms of fiction, is what I mean. Okay. Um, I like to recommend uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. Oh yeah, he's really amazing. And his trilogy, the Mars trilogy, is uh, really really cool, and does a really good job of just exploring philosophically um, what anti-capitalist alternatives could exist. Um, it's extremely good. It's really, really cool the way he does it, too. And it's also set in this, like, crazy sci-fi uh, um, universe that's, like, very um, sort of uncomfortably realistic. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's like, a really cool thing that he does actually in, like, a couple of his books where, you know, hundreds or thousands of, like, anti-capitalists will get together in these big conferences yeah. and sort of, like, talk through big ideas um, and come to these, like, cool, like, kind of dialectical conclusions and um, yeah, I think that's a great a great way to think about the leftist project, and I just encourage people to check that out. So yeah. check out the Mars trilogy by Kim Stanley. Robinson. And I'm also reading um, the new Kim Stanley Robinson right now. I just started it, but it's called Ministry of the Future. So that will be my nonfiction recommendation. I love this. I mean, fiction. Such a sorry. Good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such a good writer. One of my favorites. Yeah. Well, thank you both again. This was fun. Yeah. Thanks for having thanks us. Hello, everybody. Thank you for sticking around and listening to that conversation. Please go support Clementine and Jay and their work and let them inspire you to speak up and speak out about how you feel, even if it means losing friends, 
even if it means you have to block people on Instagram. Um, I think a lot more of us have the capability to speak out and share our opinions than we are doing. And I fully, fully subscribe to the belief that vulnerability breeds vulnerability and that the more we see other people being brave in this way, the more likely we are to be brave and the more likely they are to inspire their community to be brave. Um, And so maybe you are that person. Uh, Maybe you are a leader in that sense or um, you feel comfortable following in the footsteps of Clementine or Jay. Uh, But whatever it is, We need more people to speak out, and um, I'm going to play you out today with uh, one of my favorite songs called You Don't Know Me, uh, which is Ben Folds and Regina Spector, and although this is a little bit relationally focused, I think it definitely applies to everything we discussed in today's episode, Um, and really, you know, forces us sometimes, like, let's take inventory of who we surround ourselves with. Do those people really know you? Does the person you're in a relationship with really know you? Do they know really what you want? Are you pretending to be someone just to fit in, whether that's with your friend group, with a larger community, or in your primary relationships? Um, I think we do all of this all the time. You know, Not only are we pretending to be someone else, but then we have this whole projected idea of who other people are. And once again, it's just all an avoidance to be ourselves and to... Um, take responsibility for our lives and what our values are. And these are critical, critical times. Um, Like, if not now, when? (laughs) So uh, if you are thinking or you're afraid to speak out within your community or to break off your relationship or that shitty friendship, please come and join our community instead. We will welcome you with open arms. We welcome every type of nuanced idea possible um, in our Patreon community and the larger podcast community. But this is the time. uh, Let's not waste any more life. It's very, very palpable and clear to me being out in nature how beautiful it is and also how fucking destroyed it is and how much grief there is there, and I don't know how much time we have left. You know, I've been sort of thinking about the dying planet relative to, like, a dying relative. You know, what good does it do for us to deny it's happening? Um, Or even to become so overwhelmed with grief and sadness that we can't experience those last days with that loved one. There will always be a dualistic nature between love and grief and joy, and sadness. And the only way to experience the the good one, (laughs) the joy and the love, is to also be very honest and um, very open to the grief and the sadness as well. So, on that uplifting note, um, please enjoy this song. Thank you all so, so much for being here. Uh, I'm looking forward to meeting so many more of you uh, at meetups in the Patreon community or hopefully one day in Crestone when Chris and I finally start to build something there. Sending my love to all of you. I love hearing from you uh, in any way. Enjoy the rest of your week. Bye. I want to ask you, do you ever sit and wonder it's so strange we could be together for so long and never know never care what goes 
was on in the other one's hand Things I felt but I never said You said things that I never said so I'll say something that I should have said long Like a mannequin, or a cardboard stand up and paint me. Paint me Maybe face that you wanted me to be seen. Damn, by the existential moment where we saw the couple in the coma, and it was we were the cliche, but we carried on anyway. So sure, I could just close my eyes. Yeah, sure, trace and memorize, but can you go back once? No. You don't know me. You don't know me at all. You don't know me. You don't know me at, at all. all. You don't know me. You don't know me at all. You don't know me. You don't know me. If I'm the person that you think I am, clueless chumpy seem to think I am so easily led astray. Trying to say is what? What? I'm trying to tell you is not gonna come out like I wanna say it, 'cause I know you'll only change it. Say it. You don't know me. You don't know me.